Welcome to the Sports Squire Podcast, a platform engineered specifically for you to deliver content relative to the fields of training, performance, and rehabilitation. Challenge the status quo and raise your game through changing your mindset and your action. As you embark on your journey as a sports squire, subscribe to the show to get real-time updates to new episodes. Don't miss an opportunity to apply what you've learned today. Explore, engage, learn, implement, benefit. This is the way of the sports squire. Welcome, sports squire community. I'm your host, Brad Howe. I'm a former collegiate athlete, exercise enthusiast, and physical therapist in the realm of orthopedics and sports rehab over the last decade. Episode 13, Sports Psychology and You with Justin Petty. Super excited to have Justin on the show today. Justin is a former collegiate athlete, basketball player, four-year letter winner at the University of Evansville. Grew up on the south side of Indianapolis and had a good fortune of, of growing up with Justin. And now he has specialized in psychology where he teaches psychology at Brebuff Jesuit Preparatory School on the north side of Indianapolis and also does consultative work with professional athletes, college athletes, and simplifies concepts that can help deal with behavioral and cognitive deficits. Justin is going to cover some concepts that are linked to sports psychology, but also can can benefit you in your everyday life. You're going to want to pay attention to this episode, and I would highly encourage you to take some notes. This is extremely foundational, these psychological principles that Justin will be talking about to everything that you do from a personal wellness journey. We talked about the order of operations for Sports Squire Wellness, which really is is for personal wellness and mental and spiritual are right at the top. And so from a psychological perspective, having a professional like Justin who has expertise in understanding different emotions and different anxieties and different situational stresses and how you can better deal with those on an everyday basis. Enjoy the interview with Justin. Justin, I can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast and spitting your knowledge and expertise in sports psychology and and just helping the audience to kind of translate, you know, how they can take these same principles and use them in their everyday life. So good to have you here, brother. Appreciate it, Brad. Appreciate it. So, you know, in my, what's going on, I think going to be my eighth year teaching sports psychology um, and a little background, I was a, a collegiate basketball player. Uh, there is where I kind of got tapped into um, psychology just as a study, as a field of practice. Um, I started, you know, applying some of those principles in my, in my classes to, you know, my, my practice routines. Um, so, you know, you look at something like a dog training program is just behaviorist principles, right? So you're using reward punishment systems, repetition, and you kind of start putting a few things together. And then I was lucky enough to work with um, a local psychologist, not technically a sports psychologist, but serving that role for us. And um, I don't know, I just, I had a really good interaction with him, you know, several times over and um, just felt like it was something that was kind of a, an unmet need in sports because I certainly needed his assistance. He was working with a lot of other players in our program. And, uh, and, I, and I really started to see the, the practical side of that um, just in being able to help athletes. Like talk about a group that's dealing with a lot of stress on the body, on the mind all the time, right? Or these student athletes um, certainly didn't have the opportunities to be paid at that time. So, you know, you were pretty much limited to and what was a great opportunity in a scholarship. Um, but, you know, and free gear and some shoes, you know, but uh, yeah, from there it was like, it was stressful. And so, uh, and you're trying to be high achieving, you know, not only in sport, but in the classroom, because you're setting yourself up for, you know, your entire career. And that includes a lot of internship time, and so you're in the gym 40 or 50 hours a week and you're in class the rest of the time. Um, yeah, that's a, hard, that's a hard transition for a young person. What made you want to go into psychology? So I, for one, I was just, I didn't have to study that hard for it. And I was doing really well in some of the, some of the upper level classes. Um, I had a history professor that really kind of turned me on to just social studies and kind of the nature of looking at society and in those perspectives. And so through that inspiration and kind of as, as I was working with a sports psychologist in my basketball career, um, that all kind of hit at once. And at a time when I was kind of looking for that, 
knowledge in my own heart, right, and just in my own life and understanding myself and where I come from and, you know, why I think this or do that. Um, and so, yeah, it just all kind of struck a chord and, and kind of lit me on fire. Um, and in some ways, it the classroom even started to pull me away from sports a little bit just because I was, I was so into, you know, the knowledge and found myself just reading voraciously. Um, and so it was this kind of, you know, internal journey a little bit too, figuring out who I was and exploring, you know, that interior space and, and not a lot of athletes are encouraged to do that. Um, and that could be just because of the culture of the sport. Um, that could be just because maybe, you know, identities around masculinity and what we can share and, you know, what that environment is supposed to look like. Um, there's a lot of testosterone in a locker room that might be, uh, in some ways prohibitive of, you know, honest, authentic, you know, uh, conversations to help really heal people. But I think the best programs in the country that you see in any sport are tapping into that reality and they're starting to, to bring in more, you know, sports psychologists and people with that perspective and actually building cultures like that that are far more, that I'm seeing at least supportive of one another, cooperative, and maybe a little less, I don't know, self-involved and individualistic that the the cultures that we might have you know grown up in playing where it was just it was so so competitive you know individually um that i think that was you know coming from maybe a more traditional culture of of just hard work and discipline but that can that can kind of break the mind at some point if you don't have that support network there for you especially as a young person just going through your own train your own transitions and changes you know physiologically and psychologically somebody there can, you know, really provide a lot of support and guidance. And, and we've heard that story from so many great athletes about this one person at this one time really changed my direction and, and helped me understand what I was going through. And through that, they found like this new level of motivation where they could, you know, become this, this just next level athlete. And, and, the, and part of that is next level person. And those things are, are obviously, you know, pretty directly connected. You know, it's a, it's so cool to, to, to kind of see how far you've come from our younger days. And, you know, one of the things that, that kind of strikes me personally is, and I know you probably remember this, but you guys would play in high school basketball, you know, 530 in the morning at Perry Meridian High School. I was at a rival. You and I were really good friends, played AAU ball together. So you'd pick me up, you know, 5 a.m. on those, those school days. And, you know, it's funny you talking about influence because – you know, for me, you were one of those people that, you know, essentially, you know, kind of represented that sacrifice. And, you know, for the, the audience and the listenership that's out there, I think, you know, this being a personal wellness podcast, and, and I just, uh, you know, released an episode about two weeks ago on the order of wellness operations. And the top part of that is really mental and spiritual wellness. And I think it's very easy for people to kind of look at success and to look at successful people and just see that kind of illusion. And I know you and I were speaking a little bit off air about this iceberg illusion. And, you know, for me, I look at you and your personal success as a basketball player, and I think about those things underneath the water uh, in regards to the things that you sacrificed. And I saw it firsthand in regards to, you know, you picking me up, which was hilarious, you know, someone that you were going to be competing against. Um, but yet, you know, I just, uh, I just, I just think that that's something I would love for you to dive into a little bit. It's just that illusion of success. Yeah. So, you know, we, we hear about these metaphors of, of maybe, uh, live life like a duck, right? So on the surface, you're, you're really calm and chill, but then below the surface, you're just, you know, paddling like mad. And of course, you know, the water is super still on top. So it's, it's, it is an illusion, right? And, um, and I think that's pretty true for, you know, how we think about success and like what goes into it. Um, part of my course, you know, when I teach it and I research it and, and part of my focus is trying to distill some of these recipes of like, what do the most successful people do when they're not doing their, their thing, right? Performing in their game or their sport. Um, and athletes are becoming more honest about this and, and open about, you know, their personal lives, I think, and, and what it really takes. Like we're getting all these behind the scenes, you know, um, from, you know, these NFL programs on HBO. We, we, we kind of know what it looks like more so now. And we, we see how tough it is, but I think still the road to get there, you know, we don't see what a lot of young athletes go through. And also, you know, the parents that are sacrificing 
kind of in and along with that, like that's also an important part of that network of like, you know, you got to have the parents who can maybe pay or get you to those practices and get you the gear, get you into the tournaments. And like, it's just, and it's a whole lifestyle. And, uh, and, and so it's like, my heart goes out to parents that are willing to make those sacrifices of, of time and money and, you know, investing in their child's future. Um, but I think when we're thinking about the energy that goes into making an athlete these days, like that's an important part of it, you know? So I think the support network is, is more critical just because every kid now can, you know, get a personal trainer and they can get onto some team and they can be playing year round. And so the opportunities are there now. I think it's how do we manage some of that, you know, psychologically and, and certainly through, you know, younger, uh, you know, children's programs and, and how even those coaches are trained and what are they directed to do. And, and hopefully that culture kind of finds its way up and out and, and into high schools and, and certainly colleges are already doing some really innovative stuff with um, how to manage players and how to manage athletes. And so kind of coming back to the idea of, okay, so what is it that's happening underneath the surface and, and, and what does that whole environment look like? Um, I think the, the most important thing is like, well, if there's, if there's these, these paddles going like mad, where's the energy coming from? Right. Um, and so I think the, the energy is, is oftentimes, and, and Brad and I talked about this, you know, off air as well. Um, it can come from places of pain, come, come, come from places of insecurity and discomfort and humiliation. I think we have to, to first kind of understand like underneath the surface there there is some darkness right where those where those you know paddles are working underneath the water and and so in those dark spaces i think you know sports is 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 just such an incredible thing in a culture and the reason it's you know worldwide and has been for you know millennia is the simple fact that it like it allows us to to sort of as they say in psychology you know sublimate some of those those urges, those feelings, those energies, however you want to describe it. Um, but they're there, you know, the body needs to move, right? The body moves, it releases dopamine. And so we're inherently rewarding ourselves for movement, right? And you get endorphins that help to act as kind of a natural opiate flow. And then that adjusts our neurotransmitters and, you know, it changes our whole existence. So I think when we think about, you know, movement and dedication and sacrifice, we also are thinking about like, where do those drives come from? How are they made? You know, even what's the role of, of more of our primitive selves in this equation? Um, those are some of the energy forces that we need to like start with whenever we're thinking about, you know, how did athletes get to the place where they are? And just to go into a little bit of the iceberg sort of metaphor, right? Uh, you know, underneath the surface, just like the duck's feet, you know, there's the larger, you know, part of that iceberg. It's much larger on the bottom, right? Three to four times typically. And so what do we see though? We see the little peak, right? And we see just the, the most superficial, smallest slice of really what it takes to be in a position where, you know, you're an all-star or even you're, you know, a college athlete, or maybe you're just on your own, you know, s- successful plan of personal growth and, you know, and physical health. And if that's, you know, what it is, we're still talking about a very similar script in terms of like, how do you maximize not only your motivation, but also how do you optimize kind of your mind and body in doing that in a way that, you know, doesn't take away from your regular life? Because we all, I think, want to be healthier, but we don't want to make certain sacrifices maybe in our relationships or, or how we spend our time. And so in, in my findings, it's, that's one of the key ingredients is like, what are you cutting out, right? What are you not doing? Um, and then how are you making and creating energy for what you want to be doing? And, and so making those decisions um, is difficult and, and is usually something that comes from kind of trial and error, but also taking that time to reflect look inward and, and also listen to those, you know, feelings or follow those signs maybe in yourself of like, yeah, I need a change and, and this is it. But to do that, you know, I'm going to have to let a lot of this go. And so the big 5 a.m. sacrifice that we're talking about here, I mean, there's a lot I had to give up, a lot you had to give up. You know, I had to sometimes not study as hard or uh, find new times to study on the weekend. I had to organize my time maybe more so than many adults, you know, at that point in my life, but it certainly paid off in in a lot of different ways. And it just makes me, you know, value, I think is one of the most important parts of this value my time so much more because I had so little of it. And so if I was going to go out or if I was going to go do something, 
why am I doing it and it better matter and so it's like always coming back to like why am I here what am I getting out of this you know how am I benefiting from even a relationship or you know certain certain maybe ideas even of myself or who I want to become like uh, what does that whole paradigm look like and so that is really the core of what sports psychology is and it's a deep inward journey to really like find out who you are. And I think that's, again, the beauty of sport is like, you find out who you are, like it will put you in a position where you are on a stage, you have to do something. And if you're afraid, or if you're confident, or whatever you might be feeling or going through, like it comes out in that sport, or if you're, you know, struggling with mental health issues, like they may be amplified because of that situation, you know, because you're under so much stress, and you're such limited time, uh, and you have such expectations, like, that's a powerful dynamic. And so I think a lot of people, you know, should hear some of those stories and kind of understand that um, because it, it can certainly help them navigate some of those, you know, really difficult, tough, you know, dark, maybe challenges that they're going through. You know, and I, I think too, like, I, I think about the motivations that, that some people have as well. And, you know, I think different people are diff- are motivated differently, but, you know, you, you certainly talk about, you know, how sports can kind of bring out, you know, certain reflections. And, you know, I I think about people that, you know, maybe haven't had the same opportunities that you and I have had, or others who have had that have, you know, competed at a higher level. And, you know, I know you're getting ready to embark on a a marriage and congratulations on that. I'm super excited for you guys. And, and, you know, I'm at the stage now where, you know, I've got a six-year-old and, you know, I'm trying to, to raise him up uh, without having, you know, some of these insecurities and some of the dark things that you've talked about um, that can surface out of, you know, expectations and putting pressure on him. But, you know, what if someone or someone that's out there, maybe just to kind of help understand, because I've met a lot of wonderful people in my life that have never played sports. Um, however you want to define success is is in the in the, the eye of, of the beholder, right? You know, it's it's not going to be uh, defined by the by world or, or cultural type things, but I've met so many people that have been successful that haven't played sports and they have an unbelievable amount of discipline and motivation. Can you speak a little bit to just you know why are different people wired differently and and how does motivation play into what drives them? Yeah, we see you know a lot of uh, wiring, especially for people who reach really successful you know peaks of whatever whether it's business or whether it's sports you know um there can be a lot of of pain in there right that has also disciplined us i think that's one of the the interesting things about maybe pain grief you know some of those experiences um and certainly within sports failure disappointment humiliation you know embarrassment like that's a part of what we're looking for when we go into these spaces i think and and we don't give it, you know, maybe that sort of placement when we think about it or when we talk about it or even, you know, to ourselves while we're playing, we're just having fun, right? We're just, we're just, you know, trying to put the ball in the bucket. Um, but there reaches a point too, where that begins to separate where, yeah, you start making this decision of, do I want to wake up at 5am every morning? Do I want to like, and if I do, how does that connect to my long-term vision of myself, right? My kind of long-term identity. I know it's maybe not who I am quite yet, but it's some chain, you know, in the link that's, that's, that's connecting me to who I want to become. And I think it's that kind of future self projection that can be so, so powerful and so different between, you know, athlete A and and B and C and and the general population. Um, And I think that can sometimes be, you know, something that manifests as extreme passion. It can also take a darker turn when we talk about sports. we, We think about maybe obsession, right, when we're trying to optimize performance. Like I know I would certainly... Uh, fall into that category at times and and when sports became unhealthy for me but I think ultimately in the grand experience like it shaped me deeply from the inside and a lot of that was you know those those quiet (laughs) rides home on the bus when you lost a game that maybe you shouldn't and you're so disappointed and and I I mean talk about silence I mean I can probably remember times where I didn't speak to anybody on the way home when I got home, that includes my parents. Um, and, and, I, and I don't know if that's unhealthy necessarily, but man, I found out a lot about myself through those experiences. And 
while I wouldn't want to go through them again, particularly, I, I, I value what I learned from that. Um, and that, that kind of, you know, throwing sports is about throwing yourself into the fire. And, and you're, we talk about so much about disciplining the, disciplining the body. Um, and that is a critical part of that teaching and learning process, I think, in sports. But there's just so much to be said for that sheer disappointment and not achieving your goals and how much that helps you to go set better goals, maybe more realistic goals, but also just understand also who you are as a part of that, like, and what can I do, you know, as a team, but also just as a bit in an individual on my journey, like, how am I going to let this shape me? Or if I don't, you know, I've just wasted all this energy and all this time and all this pain on nothing. And I think that was one of the really valuable aspects of sport is like, if I'm feeling something, I'm going to let it work on me. I'm going to let it, you know, drive me deeply inward and I'm going to let it shape me because if I don't, you know, I'm kind of wasting some energy here. I'm wasting my time. And that takes it way outside of a win and a loss like that. You know, looking back, I don't don't know how I would have taken that kind of message as a high school athlete, you know, with these big dreams. But I mean, I think it would have helped at least, you know, guide me a little bit more through those losses and, and how to how to maybe evaluate my process a little bit better. You know, I think that's an unbelievable point that you make. Um, you know, one of the things that I remember, and I don't know if this is a fault of, of anyone within the sports field, but I, I know you and, I, you and I have had similar conversations also about, you know, coaching styles and, you know, influences and things like that. And, you know, while I uh, maybe wasn't the best athlete that, that ever was, you know, I think the thing that I am so grateful for, I can remember, you know, my mom and dad on you know, two games and coming back from games and, and even, you know, some of my siblings, you know, my older brother, Steve, which, you know, was, you know, college, collegiate quarterback. And uh, there was always crossover and ties into some sort of long, long-term life skill that I was building. And, you know, at the time, I never really wanted to, to look at those failures or those, uh, you know, those, those points of disappointment or maybe, you know, poor performance as, you know, a learning opportunity. But, you know, I'm extremely grateful that I grew up in a family where, you know, they they did a great job of of allowing us to kind of see that failure through sports, but also translate that into how we can all become, you know, individuals. And and I really truly believe that, you know, why I I, want to kind of have this this platform so much is to share with others that like that is such such a neat part of sports if we can transition that over for our children, you know, for those that are starting to, to get going, for other athletes, which I'm sure you do on a regular basis as well in your, in your consultative services. But, you know, how, how does that play into it? Because, I mean, I, I have a hard time believing looking at some of these professional athletes that have been doing this for so long because I think you and I probably share some sentiment that after a while, like, you just get worn out and... There's not really, uh, you know, much motivation. You, you've accomplished so much, and at some point, you have to pivot and move on. And uh, I just, I'm just curious what your take is on just youth sports in general, and and maybe just giving us a little bit of uh, an inkling from a psychological perspective on, you know, maybe how parents form some of those paradigms around sports and how we can do a better job. Yeah, so you know, obviously the the world of uh, of sport is is always changing. Um, markets are certainly targeting younger and younger, you know, athletes, um, and there's a lot of money to be made all the way from the development of these complexes and facilities to, of course, online streaming services. So grandma and grandma, grandma and grandpa can watch to um the merchandise and shoes and you know the whole bit right it all it all fits in and then you play as part of these leagues which you know are, are another money maker um and i think we just got to be careful one that we don't do too much um you've seen the the research i'm sure in terms of how many young athletes are experiencing um you know chronic ailments with with you know um, issues from ACL tears to stress fractures. And, and I see it just having been a coach and being a teacher. Um, I see how many kids come in boots and these are things that, that we never saw. And, and I don't think it's so much of doctors being overly sensitive or, or things of that nature. Um, the data would show that, you know, this is a, a real issue. So, 
how do we balance, you know, um, activity with also wellness of young people is, is I think, one of our most critical uh, conversations that need to be had right now. You know, as, as more and more money continues to flood that system, um, I think we need to be aware of this dynamic and also that, you know, kids are more than athletes. They have larger interests um, and deserve broader experiences than just pure sports athletic competition on a team, right? Um, there are plenty of active athletic things that can be done outside of that, uh, whether it's at the home or whether it's in a local park or, or national park. I think those are, you know, also opportunities to learn a lot of these lessons that, you know, sport as we call it, right, can teach us. But, you know, these days sport is just a rapidly expanding definition where, you know, video games are kind of getting lumped into the conversation. Um, and you're seeing, you know, climbing in the Olympics. Um, and these, you know, these are very interesting trends and threads, but um, I think have to be understood as, you know, sport is becoming a more all-encompassing space. Uh, but we also need to make sure that we're, you know, getting our kids a, a wide range of experience and, and not not specializing too early, which is kind of a second layer to that, right? Which, you know, for kids needing, you know, 12 year olds needing maybe Tommy John surgery. It's, it's, it's an incredible, you know, piece of, of evidence that, uh, yeah, these kids are doing a lot and, and they're playing, you know, in some cases comparable, uh, seasons, you know, when they're, when they're full school season and summer leagues and all this, like they play as many games potentially as professional athletes and they don't have people, you know, like you taking care of their bodies and sports psychologists taking care of their minds and, you know, parents that may even be totally aware of what's, you know, happening here just because everybody's you know following along and so I just think there, there needs to be some consideration and conversation around that um, but the biggest thing with young athletes is 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 what kind of development program are they on you know how soon should they be learning certain skills how are those skills you know reinforced and encouraged um, obviously sticking with positive reinforcement is, is always the best way to go especially with young athletes and so there are, you know, systems and, and even, you know, training regimens that personal trainers and schools and, and, and on up coaches certainly should be following um, just to make sure that, you know, not only physical but psychological developments happening in such a way because that mind-body connection, you know, that even evolves as you, you know, reach 9, 10, 11, 12, and then, you know, you hit puberty and things really can change. Um, you know, the body's sort of coordination and muscular balance uh, is, is also a critical part when we're talking about things like motivation. Um, and then just in, in working with young people, just try to help them focus on development, right? Try to help them focus on, hey, you learned a new skill, right? I fear that with a lot of these, these, these sort of uh, massive sports complexes, it seems to be geared around tournaments and just games, right? Us versus them. And I think that sort of dynamic, you know, is not necessarily what a lot of young kids need. I, I do like the movement of personal trainers just because that's a more controlled setting with, you know, somebody who might be a little bit more experienced in, in teaching those skills and hopefully has some understanding of how, you know, to teach them in the proper order, you know, not trying to get too ahead with a kid because that can all of a sudden cause some some breakdowns, not only in their physical skills and, and, and mind-body connections, but also in their motivation, right, and in their interest in being there. And what we see in a lot of research in psychology is that a lot of kids drop out of sports because they've either, you know, changed their identity in some way in regards to that sports or in regards to the sport or as an athlete. They're having a social issue on that on that team, right, where it's not even about the sport. It's about, you know, trying to actually help some kids communicate, right, and, and that's inherently a psychological one. And then the, the last point is, is just, yeah, what do they want to do in this sport? Like, what is their actual personal goal here? Because mine was to be, you know, in part a college athlete and get a scholarship. But I always wondered what else were what what else were, was everybody looking at that that didn't have that plan? Like why were they here? You know, and and that was always something that was hard for me to understand. But if I did, I think I would have been maybe even even better athlete, right? I I might have been a little bit more resilient psychologically. Um, but those conversations aren't had within teams, and 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 yeah, again, we all just kind of stay on our own path. And I think a lot of coaches should bring in a lot more personal development and even wellness coaches, you know, there's a very strong inner psychological journey that people are going on when they're working their bodies. 
but if they're not really aware of that, you know, relationship or, or those stories, then I think that can sometimes maybe, you know, cause them to fall off the wagon a bit, right? And not work out as much. Like you've got to have some belief in why you're doing what you're doing in order to, to stick with it. Right. And that's the thing that carries all the way from, you know, young athletes, um, to, to the best of the best in business or in sport, they have some really unique way of articulating why they do what they do. And that falls into every category of then what they're doing with their time, you know, how they're spending some of the energy that they want to use to become, you know, a better version of themselves. Like it informs everything else that they do. And then that allows them to make these really crazy sacrifices sometimes, whether it's like, you know, sleeping four hours a night to build a company like Tesla and, and, and those sorts of stories, or it's, you know, it's, it's tales of, of athletes basically, you know, sleeping in the gym, kind of like you and I were doing. Um, you know, I can remember days where it was like, I was, yeah, it was like eight to 10 hours either in the gym or in the weight room, some combination of those things. And, you know, that's how I spent my summers. Was that necessarily the best thing for me? I don't know. Uh, but it certainly taught me a lot. And, and I, I felt like I was always kind of like forged in the fire. Like who else is, you know, sitting in this 95 degree gym today and playing for, you know, two and a half, three hours straight. Um, that felt special to me too. And, and that gave me a lot of confidence to do other things. And, um, and so I, I can't discredit it from anything that, that my life has become because it's, it certainly fills so you speak about working hard and confidence because I think that comes up a lot too. And from a performance standpoint, you see people that are extremely successful. People see that, or I shouldn't say successful. That's the wrong term. I should say maybe just uh, smooth and how they they operate, you know, or smooth and how they deliver certain things. There's a certain sense of calmness, you know, about how they perform. And, you know, I think for you and I, at least for me, I, I've always been one that I've learned a little bit more through observation throughout my years and, you know, observing people that, you know, do a, a high level job. And some of these athletes, you know, they come in and whether it's a bad play or it's a good play, they have the same level of effect. And that's something that I personally have always kind of struggled with because I consider myself more of an emotionally charged person which I think in some some fashions can be a positive, um, but in some ways probably could be a negative as well. I guess what I'm trying to get at is, you know, is there some level of predictability? Is there some level of normal? You know, when people that are calm and they don't show effect, whether things are going good or bad, or, you know, if you're like me, you're always wearing some of your emotions on your sleeves. Is there anything from your psychological expertise that you see um, that draws red flags? Yeah, I mean, one of the first places I, I look, um, if I'm just observing behavior and I'm trying to kind of get a feel for a team, and I would, you know, use this certainly when I was coaching and, and uh, in, in different ways, but if I'm trying to understand maybe what's going on in that huddle right now, the first thing I look at is, okay, if I'm thinking about, I've been watching a lot of the NBA playoffs, so, you know, I'm thinking about basketball right now. If a team goes, you know, on a run against you, your coach calls a timeout, right, to break some of that momentum. So at that moment, and you've got a handful of seconds, you know, as this, this, this whole equation sort of plays out, I look at, I try to look at every player on that team, right, and this is something I would kind of do as, a, as also a player, right, you're, trying to, you're always trying to emotionally feel out that other team if they're getting anxious, if they're getting worried, because um, that gives you confidence in ways. And so, um, but now I look at it, you know, more, more for like a case study. And if those guys put their heads down, if nobody talks to each other, if nobody touches each other, that's just, you know, how sports are. It's a pat, it's a, you know, on the shoulder, bumps, whatever, you know, body contact is such a, a, an important and critical, um, barometric, you know, item in sports where, I can, I can really know where your team's at based upon how much they're actually touching each other, right? And, and, and that always leads to some sort of communicative, you know, interaction. It's eye contact. It's verbal, right? And that is all deeply symbolic of high confidence, high trust. And if anything, when those events are going bad, those activities should increase, right? Of course, it's really easy to do when things are going well, you know, jump up and give your homie a big body block and, and all this. That's, that's the, 
you know, that's human nature. But the really good teams, they have guys in that mix, whether they're coming from the bench, whether they're on the court, who see that and they know that equation very, very well. And they're able to stem those motivational, you know, and, and momentum shifts in a game simply by cutting that negative emotion off right when it starts to manifest itself because they know it's cancerous, right? We know that personalities can be cancerous within a team or organization, but emotions are certainly highly contagious, right? And highly volatile. And the more, you know, pressurized the situation, the more volatile those emotions are going to be. And so the more watchful those kind of guardians of the, the sort of psychology of that team have to be and so they're the ones driving a lot of that action and oftentimes it's not a guy on the floor it's usually somebody on the bench and so and because they can see it right they're actually able to monitor that they're not having to worry about you know who they have to pass the ball to so I think those are some of the signs that I'm just kind of pay attention to watching you know everyday sports a lot of its body language and a lot of its you know person-to-person contact and then of course if you see a player interacting with another player I like to get a read there like what does that actually look like I may not be able to read their lips or hear what they're saying but I can tell a lot just from the mannerisms and I think you know as a coach that is also something that you know you've got to pay special attention to even you know how your players communicate outside of sport like that kind of stuff can give you some insight into the dynamics that you're dealing with um, and every group is different and every group has has leaders that lead in different ways, whether it's it's a physical leader, you've got more mental leaders, you've got these spiritual leaders. And so, you know, knowing who those people are, putting them in the right positions to be successful, that's really your job. And then, you know, you can slowly build your your program and kind of step away because it's it's funny, just momentum works in such mysterious ways in sports. I see it so much in that emotional equation. And, and one of the biggest ways to also stem that sort of emotional tide is what kinds of goals do your team have? Like, what are you focused on? Why are you guys there? One of the weird paradoxes of sport is, is this idea of, you know, you're trying so hard to accomplish this thing and giving it everything you've got. But if you try too hard, you can't do it. There's a, there's a little space in there that you're trying to strike because if we try to, you know, it's almost like if we have too strong a grip, right, it just, it's going to break. And so if we give too much of ourselves, right, if you're a racer, you run out of steam too early and you, you can't, you know, hit your marks, right, and you, and you lose. You, you're just, you're gassed. If it's a basketball team, you have a great first half and then, you know, there it goes. It slides away, right? And so, you know, it's, it's also about when are you peaking in this whole context of, of what you're trying to accomplish. And that's game to game. That's even quarter to quarter right, or half to half in, in college basketball, the first and, and last four minutes are, are super critical for your success, and the data would prove that. And so you kind of need to know those those equations as well. And so as a coach or as an individual, like that's kind of the magic of how a team and organization are built. And then their goals as a part of that, if I'm worried about what the crowd thinks or if we're worried about wins and losses too much or if I'm worried about my stats – that's anxiety inducing, right? And, and anxiety is the natural opposite of confidence. And, and so when you're anxious, your body tightens up, you make bad decisions, right? Um, you don't breathe as well, you're actually taking in less oxygen. So your body is actually slowing itself down over time. And then as your muscles get tight, you're exposed to injury. Um, you react, you know, really uh, harshly to your teammates more negatively, it just becomes its own sort of system. And so, you know, those are the same things that hold a lot of people back from, you know, maybe making some decision to change the way that they live personally, right? Whether it's through their health or their marriage, um, it, it takes a lot of that same sort of, of, of observance, kind of like you talked about earlier, to witness it. But then what's your plan and what are your goals to sort of intervene in that? Good goals are always going to buffer bad events, right? And so that's the kind of stuff that gets us, gets us through. And those goals are built on belief. And again, they're built on trust. And the confidence and the wins and losses, like you can see that becomes almost secondary, tertiary. And I think that's what you see in a lot of really great coaches, right? They, yes, I'm sure have good, good and great players along the way, but the programs that are, you know, building these great people, 
you know, they last for a reason. It's because they're built on something that's principled, substantial, you know, it's virtuous. It's things that people want to believe in. And, and then it's orchestrated as such to give you the power to become that. You know, those are the kinds of powerful systems and programs I think that we need to build. But it starts with goal setting. And if your goals are off, yeah, you're going to be anxious. You're going to be stressed. You're not going to know how to prioritize your time. And you're probably going to want to quit. And you likely will when it gets really, really tough. And so those kinds of things, they have to be built months in advance. In the world of, of a sports program, right, a year in advance, that stuff has to be laid down. And if it's not, right, when things get a little stressful, the foundation starts to crack, it breaks, and it's just not sustainable. And so um, that's the place that I always begin with anybody who's having a performance problem. It's motivational and inherently motivation. We've got to look at your goals. And if you can't articulate why you're doing something, from an internal perspective, not based upon, you know, what your parents think or what your, you know, employees might think or what your uh, husband or wife might even think. It, it has to be something that comes from you, right? It has to go beyond coaches. It has to go beyond colleges and anything that might be considered, you know, what we call in psychology extrinsic. And this would also involve trophies and money. Rankings are such a big deal these days and it wasn't really so much that way when you and I were coming up. I mean, yeah, there were rankings, but now, I mean, it floods the system. And we also need to consider things like social media. It's a huge extrinsic force right now for young athletes. Many of them are afraid to compete and fail because they're afraid to be, you know, taped and then posted and then all of their friends can see and laugh at them because they, you know, fell or whatever. Like we underestimate that kind of power um, that that social space can have, you know, on those young minds and even maybe for ourselves, right. In our own health, there's, there's of course, you know, it's easy to flip through Instagram and get really jealous of people and to seem, make it seem like, you know, they're so very active and we aren't like that sort of FOMO culture, I think has had a real impact on, on how people decide to activate their bodies, right. Whether it's just a personal workout routine or it's wanting to go hike and, you know, camp on a weekend or it's something more serious. Maybe you want to train for a marathon. Like we have to understand that social media is playing a big role in how we think about ourselves and the context of what we do. And certainly for young people, it's almost a central part of that identity building through these social groups. And I think sports can also provide a nice check to that but that has to come with a consideration and understanding of, you know, the coaches and the parents of, hey, you know, here's what we're doing and here's why we're here. Here are the goals and, and things I'm going to give to your child. Um, we'll talk about wins and losses and maybe drills like next week. I think those kinds of stops are going to be really healthy for sport. And as sports psychology increases in popularity and it seems to be, you know, kind of pervading the sports culture more and more. I'm at least looking forward to seeing that, you know, for younger people, younger athletes, because they need a lot of support there. And coaches need that, that knowledge and information as well um, and need to be supported through that and developing those skills. So, you know, hopefully more and more of this just helps the athlete, you know, build and shape themselves because sports are a beautiful thing. And like we said earlier, you find out who you are through that experience. And there aren't many places where you can do that today. And so I think that's just a, a really special thing that, that your audience should keep in mind. There is so much good stuff that you just said, Justin. I, it's it's unbelievable. Like just I'm just kind of scratching my head with, you know, how much uh, you've kind of brought to a head in regards to some of the outside influences that some people, you know, experience. You know, and especially in this day and age, like you talk about the pressures and anxieties of of social media. And and for me, you know, I think one of the things I look at over you know, my years of development is that, and I don't know why this is, but I have. For some reason, and maybe this is a healthy thing, but I've shrunk my circle of influence down to people that I've really handpicked based upon, you know, certain qualities and characteristics that I've found that I value personally, and I look for similar values in, in those people that are around me. And, you know, I think because of that, I surround myself with extremely positive and supportive people. And it just makes me wonder, you know, with some people that... Um, or some athletes or some individuals that are out there listening, if they don't have that support system, if they if they didn't have that upbringing like we did, where they had the support, the sacrifice, um, you know, the family members that were there, the friends that were there for them, how do they move forward? I'm sure these are the type of individuals that you 
talk about, this is why you got into psychology. How do those people without that circle of influence move forward? And is it okay to say that, uh, <laughs> that me shrinking my circle of influence is actually a good thing? Uh, first off, I'd say, yeah, it's, it's a good thing, a natural thing, um, healthy thing that we, yeah, we, we trim off some of the fat of our social lives, right? Our, our time just as we get a little older, it shrinks and, you know, that restricts our ability to hang out with everybody and please everybody as well. And I think that can be a big part of the pressure even to be on social media sometimes is like, well, I gotta, I gotta please this person, post that comment here. And then, now you're working kind of another job and you don't maybe get a lot of the same rewards as is actually socializing with the people that you really want to be socializing with. Um, and so, yeah, we've got endless social options today, right? With, with the, you know, advancement of not only social media, but just smartphones and we're always available. We're kind of having then to be always on and always sort of socializing. And so in, in some ways too, it's like, to make that social life more robust, not only do you need to really think about like, who am I spending time with? What do they give to me? What do I give to them? What is that relationship balanced? Uh, if not, you know, is it worth, you know, trying to rebalance that in some way? Because, you know, that is a, an important critical dynamic of any friendship, of, of any marriage, um, of any parent-child relationship. Yeah, there is a, there has to be some sort of reciprocity there. And if, if not, all of a sudden it gets kind of lopsided and now you're giving maybe too much, not getting enough in return. And then maybe that turns into resentment. And then that relationship maybe just goes in the wrong direction, which it didn't have to. But knowing some of these feelings and kind of experiences, I think that helps to at least kind of anticipate it. On the other side, with uh, social media, you know, how valuable are those relationships and, and how much time are you spending on it? I think those are critical questions that we need to ask ourselves. I, I see the research for young people and how much time they're spending on some of these things. Um, and it's really concerning to me from a psychological perspective because, you know, one, there's a lot of social pressure, especially on young females in these spaces and shaping their identities, but also there can simply just be a lot of inactivity um, and that's dangerous in part, and, and I don't know if you've looked at this research, but just spending too much time sitting down looking you know, at a screen can cause uh, a dissociation effect from you know, mind and body. And so we actually start losing the sense of signals of even the emotions that we're feeling. Like we, we, are, we are kind of more dulled to them in ways due to this kind of constant dopamine rush and thrill and adrenaline that we're getting from these social media lives that we're leading. Uh, on top of the busyness and stress of everything else. And so that dissociation between mind and body, it also doesn't trigger us to get up and move, right? And that's a very natural cue that we should be listening to in ourselves. And if you're triggered to get up and move, or if you're feeling anxious, that's also a sign that you need to be moving more. That's just a sign that you need to move. And if it's, you know, if we think of the, the primitive man, it's, you know, going back. If you were anxious, that meant you were hungry or you might be really cold tonight. And so you better get to it. You better find that food. You better, you know, create that shelter or build that fire. And that anxiety kept you alive, you know. And so today I think we also need to understand that, um, not everything needs all that anxiety or stress. And social media is, is a really big driver of this, especially for young people. And we're seeing such incredible amounts of just anxiety rates, right? Um, suicidal thoughts, depression, like that's a really massive crisis right now and, and that we're not talking about because we've got so much on our plates. But that's only being amplified, you know, under the current circumstances with, you know, deep isolation um, due to due to the pandemic. I think this is, you know, something that hopefully we're maybe feeling in ourselves, but that means tapping out of the, the technological, you know, tapping into our own bodies and tapping into, in my perspective, too, nature can really help to, you know, help heal some of that imbalance maybe that technology is bringing um, and there's so many incredible things happen to your brain and to your body when you're out there exercising. So climb, bike, you know, do whatever you do. Um, but if you do it in nature, it's going to be far more effective than running on a treadmill. And so I think those are some, some perspectives that we need to keep in mind too. And it's all, this is so wonderful, man. I, I'm so appreciative of you coming on. And, you know, I think I, I can't agree more with, uh, the movement aspect and, and, you know, how, how really there's a, a, a down spiraling effect and really, an upregulating effect, you know, in regards to, you know, how movement can affect your brain and how your brain can affect movement. And, 
yeah, I think a lot of times some people kind of, you know, they wait to feel things before they start moving as opposed to, you know, moving to start feeling. And, um, you know, I'm not a psychologist, but I'm about to, you know, spit some, uh, spit some, some psycho- psychological jokes on you. But, you know, the whole emotion part of that is you have to get moving. And, you know, I just think it's, uh, it's unbelievable to see, you know, if you're somebody that's out there that's, you know, sitting down waiting for that response, you have to get moving. And, you know, if you're somebody that, that struggles with some of these things that Justin talks about from a mental health perspective, it's extremely important for you to see a professional and to talk to someone and deal with some of those those issues because, you know, ultimately that is, you know, how we are hardwired. And, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of really good conservative techniques that people like Justin can can bring to the table and really help, you know, to bring light, you know, some of these issues and, and, and really allow you to feel how normal you are with some of the feelings and and uh, emotions and, and different things that you may be, may be going through. But, Justin, I, I can't thank you enough, man. And, um, you know, I, I really, I'd love to have you back. I mean, the, the more I talk to you, uh, the more stimulated I feel, and uh, I think this is such an underserved uh, topic. You know, for everyone out there from a personal wellness standpoint, you see certain, you know, people that want to create platforms that are all about you know specific movement, and this is this is really meant to be a holistic approach to help be people be well. And uh, I think without that mental approach, it's it's really hard to do, and so. If you don't mind, I'd love to invite you back and uh, and have you back sometime soon. Appreciate that, Brad. Yeah, would love to come back. And, and this is just something that I wanted to share with audiences for a long time. And I think a lot of people can benefit, whether you're you know a young athlete, whether you're the parent of an athlete, or you're just somebody trying to start your own wellness journey. I think understanding how your mind and, and even deeper aspects of yourself uh, fit into that are going to be really critical in keeping you on that path and becoming the person that you're setting forth and trying to become. Well, like I said, thanks again. And for all of you out there that are listening, you you all know five or 10 people that need to hear this conversation right now and need to hear about the importance of mental wellness. And I know we talked about sports psychology today. And, you know, for us, we feel extremely, uh, you know, grateful that we had the opportunities to be able to to go through sport and to learn lots of, of different lifelong lessons and how to, you know, regulate some of those emotions and some of those moods. But some of you may uh, have friends that are struggling with this. And, and you know, we want to, um, you know, help you out and, and allow this to be a sense of encouragement for you. That's what this podcast is for. And, uh, you know, I want to point you back as well to, you know, the Sports Squire Order of Wellness Operations just to kind of give you some encouragement to know that this mental health is at the top of that pyramid and uh, you can't necessarily move on to the next step until you've figured that piece out. So stay tuned. We will definitely be having Justin Petty back. His psychological expertise in sports psychology and just general advice for helping you know others on their day-to-day is just it's unparalleled. I'm extremely grateful for Justin and for him spending some time with us today. I hope you guys will share this episode, uh, go back, you know, find some opportunity to apply some of the knowledge that you're hearing to the action that you're, you're foreseeing every single day. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to the Sports Squire podcast. Check out the show notes for anything you missed during today's episode. Click subscribe if you haven't already to ensure you get updates on the latest Sports Squire episodes. And remember, as a Sports Squire, your greatest self is found at the intersection of knowledge and action. Don't be normal, be a Sports Squire.